Hi, my name is Gunnar Froh and I'm your host on the Wonder Mobility Podcast. Welcome back to the Wonder Mobility Podcast. Today I'm with Harry Maxwell of Fluctuo. Welcome, Harry. Thanks, Gunnar. Good to be here. It's very good to see you again. We just saw each other in person in Autonomy in Paris. And that's also where you are headquartered. Lucky you. Yeah, it's just great. Right. <laughs> the soon scooter free city of Paris. And I would love to talk a little bit about your background because you already worked in mobility before. Also exciting company, 15. Very interesting. And now at kind of the leading, I would say, data provider to sharing operators, Fluctuo, that we kind of turn to to validate and make sure we get the, our market estimates right. And then what's the Fluctuo product? What can your customers, operators, cities see with your help that they couldn't on their own? And finally, it's also really dig into some of the data because you have a lot of it. So where does the market stand today? What are good cities? What are different vehicle types? How successful are they? And where do you think this is heading? But let's talk about your own background first. So Before joining Fluctuo, what was your exposure to mobility already? Yeah, so I think my love for mobility goes back a long way. I was studying in Rome in 2018, and it was a mess to try and get around. And that was around the era when there were the free-floating bikes that were popping up everywhere, and, and they were quite hard to locate. So City Mapper was my best friend. And uh, when I moved to Paris a couple of years later... I got the opportunity to work at Zouv, which is uh, the electric bike company who operated in, in south of Paris and in Bordeaux. And when I joined that company in, in the marketing team, I was responsible for the B2B relationships. So that's where I, I first got to know Wonder Mobility at WMS. And it was from there that uh, Zouv uh, merged with Smooth and became 15. And they started um, you know, ramping up and um, tackling uh, sharing systems across Europe. And it was great to work on a very exciting brand. And yeah, a little while later, I, I came across Fluctuo. Although, to be fair, I was familiar with the newsletter of Fluctuo as soon as I joined 15. I think it's a benchmark for a lot of people to see what's going on in the market. So now at Fluctuo, if you don't know who we are exactly, we are the essentially Europe's largest data aggregator of shared mobility data. We have a platform called CityDive, which allows cities, operators, public transport authorities, investors, whoever it might be, to see what's going on in 180 cities across Europe in terms of shared mobility. So this is shared bikes, shared scooters, shared mopeds, and shared cars. I agree with you. I'm also on the Fluctuo newsletter and try to kind of limit the amount of emails coming in. So there's only about a handful that I'm yeah. like subscribing to that can also really manage to read regularly. Mm. And this is uh, one of them because it helps us to like orient ourselves and really understand The market. How do you, as a company, how does Fluctuo aggregate this data? What are your sources so that you can trace these different sharing vehicles across yeah. 180 cities in Europe? Yeah, it's a very good question. So essentially, we, we, we have a sort of a unique business model where we, we are a data aggregator, right? So we're, we're pulling data from different sources, but it's mostly from data sharing agreements with operators directly. So we will have the MDS or GBFS feeds of specific operators. We also have access to open data sources. So this is mostly for the public bike sharing systems. And we sort of pull it all together. We do a daily quality check on the data before it goes live on the platform. And that's essentially it. Although I guess the, the next thing to tackle is the European Shared Mobility Index, which is the report that we 
published on a quarterly basis. We just released the annual review and we're very happy that Mundum Mobility is now a proud sponsor of the, the index, uh, which really helps us out. But for this index, it's a little bit more work on my side. So for the operators that we don't have on City Dive, it means contacting them individually and asking for their numbers. And more or less, uh, I would say it's 85%, 90% of the companies are are happy to share the data because they know Fluctuo, they trust Fluctuo, that they understand the importance of the report for the growth of the industry. But it's just more just a manual, time-consuming thing that we have to do to to, to get these operators that, that we don't know. And these are usually the regional players. So it can be a bit difficult when you don't necessarily speak the same language. But we've managed to, I wouldn't say perfect it over the last couple of years, but we, we've got close to making it a, a well-oiled machine by this point. So before we... Dive into the numbers. I think it's yeah. good to spend a few minutes, like really understanding what the source is, how reliable it is. And you mentioned two ways of getting data. One is you have mutual mm. agreements with some operators to use their APIs and the same data that they might share with local governments, maybe MDS format. You can also receive. And then there are others that you have on your radar that you contact yeah. kind of manually to verify, double check with them. And then there's yep. probably, I assume, like a third category of like a, um, that you are adding for those you are maybe overlooking kind of like a margin of error. How these break down right now? What percentage of your estimate of the sharing feed in Europe do you have in a integrated, in a live feed API yeah. kind of way? And what's the menu and what's the rest that you kind of estimate? Sure. So percentage-wise, it can be a little difficult because we're going, we are tracking all four modes. But I would say that the largest scooter companies or traditional scooter companies, they they now operate multimodal. They have bikes as well. But uh, Voy, Dot, Tier, Lime, Bird, Bolt are all companies that share data with us for the report. And I think these scooter, I think there are four hundred eighty thousand scooters. Uh, in Europe currently as, as of the end of 2022, which is quite a few. And I think that these companies make up the lion's share of, of these numbers, although there are regional players as well that are happy to contribute to the report. So I think on the scooters where we're fairly strong and we have um, we have good relationships with these companies. For bikes, uh, it can be a little more difficult because the traditional public bike sharing schemes can be a little bit harder to to know exactly uh, what's going on, especially in some of the Eastern European countries and the Nordics where they're wintering. So it's difficult to know whether the service has stopped sometimes or whether it's just shut down for winter. That can be uh, a, a point of contention. For mopeds, we've got great relationships with um, uh, Felix, City Scoot, uh, Kultra, I feel bad if I don't mention the, the names of some of our customers that are, but, but essentially we have a, a good coverage of the, the mopeds. I think traditionally the hardest one for us has been to, for, for the car sharing providers. So we are getting better and we have great, great relationship with share now, of course, uh, traditional free to move companies like this miles as well recently. But, um, I think for some reason the, the car sharing providers are a little bit more guarded about their data. I don't know whether this is because the data that they, they use, like whether it has to be provided to the city or not. I don't know. In some, some countries, maybe there's not that uh, same level of regulation as there is for the bikes and scooters. But we also have, uh, so, so I would say that that gives an overview of breaking down by mode, how difficult it is to get the data. We have partners in different countries that have sort of these shared mobility observatories who look at the shared mobility data and they, they work uh, as a sort of independent organization 
and we we ask them to verify the numbers that we have and they can say yes that that looks right yes that looks accurate no you're missing something here and also help us out with you know who's present in the market as well and things like this okay. just to double check every now and again so um, it's a multifaceted process and by the time we release the index we hope it's you know 95 well we want it to be 100% accurate but there's always that sort of 10% margin of error that we i think we we, we should give our, give ourselves to, to make sure that, you know, we're, it's not the be all end all. Our numbers aren't hundred percent accurate, but I think today it, it's the best there is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. And it's interesting you describe how you are tapping into different sources yourself, the automated, the annual research and estimate, but then you're yeah. also using local associations or organizations, think tanks to triangulate with what they are estimating. And then Let's begin to mention some numbers. So then what are you coming up with as the total fleet? And you said it's plus minus 10% is kind of the accuracy yeah. you think you have at the moment. Total fleet size shared vehicles in Europe at the moment. What's, what are we looking at? Yeah, so we think as an average across 2022, uh, which is how we, we did our analysis, we didn't want to take it, for instance, the number at the end of December because of wintering and things mm -hmm. like, like this that I just mentioned, but rather an average, we, we estimate there are around 850,000 uh, shared vehicles in Europe. And this is, just to double check, this is EU 27 plus UK, Norway and Switzerland. Um, All right, perfect. So mostly the EU, but with a couple of other countries yes. in Schengen zonal. Yeah. All right. So very clear. How did that number evolve over the last years? What kind of annual growth rate are you seeing? It's a very good question. It's it's the first time we've done this uh, type of, of analysis over the, the whole of Europe. I think it's the first one that exists as well. So it's not something we did last year. Uh, all I can say is that we we estimate that since 2017, there are 600,000 new shared mobility vehicles. So in the last six years, 600,000 new shared mobility vehicles have taken to the streets, whereas before it was only 250,000. And this is mostly the traditional bike sharing schemes the apparition of the free-floating bikes and shared cars that have been around for, for longer as well. So 850,000 shared vehicles in EU27 plus UK, Switzerland, North, yeah, plus UK. And, 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 and massive growth in the last six years, four times bigger. What's yeah. the model split on a European level, roughly, in terms of cars, mopeds, bikes, kick scooters that you that you see? Yeah, so, we, so today we're seeing that uh, scooters make up more than half of all vehicles in Europe. 18% uh, of vehicles are station-based bikes, um, which are the usually the traditional public bike sharing schemes. 14% are the free-floating bikes, although I think we should stop calling them free-floating and probably for the next edition of the index, we'll start calling them dockless because free-floating, I think, is giving way to the, the, the virtual station approach that, mm -hmm. that many cities are adopting. 5% mm -hmm. mopeds and 8% uh, cars. So that would be the, the, the modal breakdown of 2022. And that's a um, breakdown by vehicle type, not by, by revenue, vehicles. of course, because then uh, cars need much more revenue than kick scooters. But it's very interesting after this kind of push into kick scooters in the last two years, now mm -hmm. half of this total fleet is by kick scooters, by far the dominant mode. What's your prediction on growth of these modes or maybe even observation already from the last year? So which modal which uh, vehicle type is growing the fastest? Yeah, well, um, historically, the scoo scooters, I think that they've had this um, enormous growth over the last few years. And what we saw in 
from 2021 to 2022 is there's there was still growth there. I think it was, um, I could be wrong about this, but around 55% in terms of the fleet sizes that are growing. But that maybe they've reached that sort of glass ceiling in terms of the, the number of vehicles. Cities are starting to put in fleet caps when, as legislation is catching up with the reality. Uh, we saw that in Madrid, for instance, recently, they've chosen uh, three, three operators to operate uh, scooters. I think what's really interesting is just touching on the station-based bikes, as we said before. So 18%, they make up 18% of the shared shared mobility ecosystem, Mm -hmm. but also 30% of the total rides. So they have a much larger share in terms of their their rides than their their vehicles. And this is basically due to the fact that they are traditionally cheaper, they're subsidized by the city, and you have the enormous systems of Santander cycles in London, Vélib in Paris, which will probably have even more demand after the scooters uh, are banned. You have uh, B-Sing in Madrid, B-C-Mad that has just been renewed in, uh, sorry, B-Sing in Barcelona, B-C-Mad uh, in Madrid that's just been renewed and many cities like this. So um, that, that for me is the most interesting. And something that's just one more point on the free floating or dockless bikes. I think we saw they were the mode that grew the most in terms of from 2021 to 2022. Mm-hmm. I can't, oh yeah, it's, uh, just trying to find the data there. I've got so many uh, different numbers written down. Uh, for the free floating bikes, they grew 118% in terms of their fleet sizes. Wow. So essentially doubled uh, the number of, of dockless bikes on the streets between 2021 and 2022. Right. So that's definitely something to to see, to to watch the, the ridership grow over, over 2023 for sure. Right. 850,000 total sharing vehicles on the streets in Europe, half of them kick scooters. Dockless bikes, the fastest growing category. You've also translated these fleet sizes into, uh, or not translated, yeah, you can see it directly. So you yeah. also tracked number of trips and then estimated, I presume, I'm not sure if this directly, uh, revenue. So what's the trip volume that we're looking at last year in Europe on these vehicles? Yeah, so we, we estimated a total of 550 million trips across Europe in 2023. So that's an average of about two trips per vehicle per day, two point something. Yeah, it's it's. I think it's just a little bit lower. I think it's one point eight. Okay. And I believe, as we were just discussing a little bit before, if you want to know how many that is per day, it's about one point five million. Right. Trips per day. Yeah. That sounds very impressive, and it is uh, for anyone kind of hosting that or even a fraction yeah. <laughs> of that. But then let's try to anchor that with what. What's otherwise going on in these um, cities? So sure. um, this is an urban phenomenon across Europe. What percentage of, that's very rough estimate, probably what percentage of trips taken in European cities were taken on shared vehicles last year? Mm. Yeah, well, I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, I think we said the European population was what, 350 million mm-hmm. around there. And we estimate that how, what percentage live in urban areas? Let's say half, right? Let's say half. Yeah. So essentially what we're looking at is probably around 1% of trips that are made with shared mobility, probably a little bit less than that, maybe 0.5%, uh, which doesn't seem like a lot, of course, but that surely shows that there's, there's room to grow and that there's work to be done to, to make sure more of these trips are being made on, on these sustainable modes and ideally shared modes. Right. So we can sort of decentralize ownership of, of vehicles. 850,000 shared vehicles, 550 million trips taken. How much yeah. revenue? What's the spend on these trips? What's your estimate there? Yeah, so we estimated that there was a spend of uh, 3.1 billion by end users. 
And uh, to be honest, I'm not the one that, that worked on this calculation. It was done with uh, my CEO, Julian, Julian Chimusi, and also Anatole, who's our market analyst, who are much better with, num- uh, with numbers than I am. <laughs> but this, this number includes the VAT as well. And it was a difficult number to come up with because you have so many different factors. You have the public bike systems, which are very subsidized, so they're much cheaper. So they account for a large proportion of the trips, 30% of trips in Europe, but they're also much cheaper than a free-floating bike trip or a, a scooter trip. You then have the moped pricing, which is a little bit higher because the trips are longer. And of course, car sharing that can be, you know, for four or five, six hours at a time. So it could be, you know, upwards of, of 10 euros for for a rental. Um, so all of these uh, factors also combined with the cost of living in each of the countries, in each of the cities, meant that it's a, a complex number to come up with. But I think we I think we did well. It seems from my point of view as someone who who hasn't got a very good gauge on numbers, like it's, it could be right. What, what's your what's your take? Totally, I think so. It's hard to estimate because like you mentioned, the variance between the different modes, but coming out in, at an average of about six euros per trip across yeah. some cars and then mostly kick scooters and bikes mm. is super reasonable. I think that's totally correct. Again, plus minus 20% maybe. About 3 yeah. billion spent last year. Um, on 550 million trips on 850,000 vehicles. Mm. That number has been also what, for example, McKinsey was estimating again and again. And last updated in January, they said about 3 billion revenue per year on shared micromobility that even excluded cars at the moment. Mm. And then they say it's going to 30 billion by 2030. So no one knows, but I'm just saying this is not a slow growth. It could be 10 times Mm. that by 2030. So presumably there might be efficiency gains, so more trips per vehicle on average by then. So if the revenue will be 10 times larger, even if we have twice as many trips per vehicle, that would mean instead of 850,000 vehicles, maybe four or five million shared vehicles by 2030. I think that's totally what kind of cities on the one hand and then consumers and then operators should kind of gear up for. I could go one step further with kind of our data that we are seeing in our system that we're estimating, if you say 850,000 shared vehicles in Europe last year, I would say our estimate is 200,000 of those are hosted on software platforms, vulnerable mobility and and competition. It's a fragmented market at the moment. We're leading, but by a small margin. But Mm -hmm. these these numbers, I'm definitely check out. Most of the vehicles right now are with sort of very big international providers, and then a minority is on third-party platforms with more regional champions. And then it's mm. kind of a debate uh, in the industry who will uh, kind of own the yeah. future, the oligopolistic bigger ones or the regional champions. Mm. But what's something that your customers are doing with this data? So it's nice to have this overall um, to kind of orient yourself, but I think yeah. you can go much more granular than that. Say you're an operator in a few cities in Europe and you are partnering with Fructo. What's on a day-to-day or month-to-month basis, some actionable data that they can get from you, that they can see? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think for, for operators to partner with us, they like to see what's going on in, in a host of cities across Europe, or if it, even if it's just a, a couple of countries or one country. What they tend to do is they, they look and see how their performance is against the, the competition, so benchmarking themselves against other operators, but also seeing where the trips are happening. So something that we, we track on Flugtro is um, the origin and destination of, of trips. Uh, so we're looking at the vehicle demand 
as well as you know where these trips might be might be going or might be heading. The so other, yeah. Can, can you make this very concrete? Um, you would tell um, an operator not only how many trips by vehicle type were there in um, City X yesterday, or like on a daily basis, but you're even yeah. giving them a view on where these trips or what volume of trips where they originated and where they went to. Or yeah, sure. So, so what, essentially what you can see on Fogtro is you can see very granularly the vehicles and the trips operator in a given city, but you can also see the trip distribution through time. So 9 a.m., 10 a.m., 11 a.m., up through the evening, and you can see where the, when these trips are happening, but also the distribution throughout the week as well. So you can see for this mode, maybe could be bikes or scooters. There's a huge peak at 8 a.m. to 9 a.m., and then also from 5 till 7 p.m. when people are using it to commute. And then on the weekend, you might see that car sharing, there are many, many more trips that are happening in this fictitious city on the weekend because people are going away or they need to uh, you take their families out for a day out, things like this. So that's essentially what we're delivering in terms of the, the data side. But we're also producing what we call heat maps, so showing geospatial data for these shared mobility vehicles. And we're seeing um, the origins of, of the trips as well as the destinations, so where the demand is in a city on any given day, any given hour. That's very fascinating. And that's, um, of course, only possible for those operators that are using your API that you are connecting, connected mm -hmm. with. Um, the other ones, I assume when you were doing manual research, you were asking for fleet size and so on, but you cannot track individual trips. What's the percentage typically of trips in European cities that are fed to you through API so you can see origin and destination? Uh, it's a very good question. Um, and it's not one that I honestly have the answer to. Uh, I would say I it would be an estimation, but I would say 70%. Oh, wow. Um, Most of the trips. So you also think I these think, maps are pretty reliable because you get the majority of trips in an um, automated way. So you, you, you don't just get the aggregate, but you see the origin destination. Exactly. So fascinating. Yeah. And do you have an example from like, Last year, real life, how either an operator or a city was using your data and then they make some changes. What did they, what kind of conclusion did they draw from it or what impact did they see? Then? Yeah, I think um, for, on the operator side, it's, it's difficult because I believe that the operators that work with Fluxuro, they have their own ways of working. It's hard for us to do case studies and show exactly what they do with the data because it might be sensitive, but I think a good example is um, Milan, the city of Milan are using Fluxuro, and they're essentially using it to see what's going on in other European cities because they want to keep tabs on, okay, so Oslo, for instance, they made a scooter cap and chose just three operators. How did uh, how were trips affected? Um, does the vehicle cap work? How are the trips per vehicle per day? Did they choose too few vehicles? Is, is the fleet cap still too high? But also for a city like Milan, maybe a more relevant example is looking at Paris, uh, Brussels, Berlin, mm -hmm. Munich, Rome, looking at these cities and saying, okay, well, what's their policy? What have they done? Does it work? And what can we learn from them to, to guide the best policy for, for our city? Mm -hmm. So I believe that Milan, well, let's see in, in the next few months what, what they decide to do. But I think Milan is definitely one of those cities that are, I think, very very um, thoroughly about the mobility policy before they before they make decisions. And they've already, I think, got a, a, a very good 
system in place, which is quite healthy in terms of the modes that they have. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of free-floating bikes there as well as the shared system. And they're a big users of, of shared mopeds and cars as well. Mm-hmm. So they are using the data not just to understand kind of total market size, but to derive benchmarks in a way. Yeah. What is good? So they can see maybe trips per vehicle per day and and how that changes after the introduction of different policies. And then exactly. kind of will set maybe orient their own goals around that. Can you share a little bit the direction we were talking kind of very high level averages yeah. now? Total feed size, 1.8 trips per vehicle per day across all of Europe and like the whole year and everything. But what is um, good? How many trips per vehicle per day do the best 10%, 20% of operators have for bikes, for cars, for scooters? Do you have, did you kind of derive any sort of benchmarks in this way? Yeah, um, I think it really depends on each uh, city. From me personally, going through the data and inputting it, I don't necessarily remember every single city, every single operator. I don't think also it's something that I can point to directly because this is also data that's trusted to us, entrusted to us uh, for the report only. So I can't necessarily mm-hmm. just share numbers for each operator. But I think for scooters, the best markets are getting four trips per vehicle per day or or above. Uh, for station-based bikes, I think Paris is the benchmark with Verlieb. They're also getting above six, seven trips per vehicle per day in, in, in summertime. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when the strikes are on, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, we saw a big increase in, in share mobility usage when there's a strike on and there are a few of those going on at the moment. For mopeds, I think in some cities like Rotterdam, they're up at four. Uh, Amsterdam, Rotterdam, up at four trips per vehicle per day. And for car sharing, I think um, anything above two would be fantastic. But you, I think you're more of a car sharing expert than me. What do you see? What's your uh, analysis of car sharing and what's good and whatnot? Because, of course, you had your own car sharing company yeah, that's at a one time as well. Then we had, <laughs> <laughs> then we had probably uh, one trip per day. But, um, but that's that... also good, right? As long as it's being used once, I suppose. But it also depends on the duration of the rental. So if you're operating a free-floating right. model... They were also going yeah. to other cities and like sometimes on a daily rate and stuff. But this was an NGO-type background... 10, 15 years ago, like around the university, I think yeah. has evolved massively. So you're basically saying, you know, cars, mopeds, bikes in this order um, in terms of usage, the best bikes, you mentioned even one specific name, Paris, Philippe, yeah. um, six to seven a day in the summer, cars more than, more than two is good, um, mopeds, kicks uh, and scooters more than four. So the best ones, but then interestingly, you talked about Cities, um, actually not operators without necessarily not, not, not to name them, but you yeah. basically seem to see, or are you seeing in the data that the usage is driven more by what city you're in than by the operator? So is it if Rotterdam is good, all the operators there are doing good? Or do you see also big differences between operators in the same city? I think that it's mostly down to the city. And if the city is creating ideal conditions, for the operators to really be successful. And something that we're looking in 2023 is the profitability is a huge question. So cities are making more and more regulations and they have absolute the, the right reasons to do so. They want to make the travel safer. They want to reduce private cars. Um, and they also want to make sure that these shared mobility modes, namely scooters and bikes, are not disrupting pedestrians as well as causing friction, new frictions with with motorists. So 
The question, I think, is, is the city able to create regulations in a way that the operator and the city both win and allows these modes to, to be successful in their own right, to be profitable, by the way, for the, the operator so that they can operate not just a sustainable service in terms of uh, environmentally, but also financially sustainable. So are they able to keep doing this year after year? And I think the cities where the trips per vehicle per day are the best are either the cities that are well-regulated, so they have fleet caps on the vehicles, but they also have very specific laws, also the maybe how safe the roads are, but also on the flip side, maybe the least regulated markets as well. So somewhere like Brussels, which I know is, is pushing hard to introduce a fleet cap, I think there are upwards of 20,000 scooters in the city today, which is far too many for their needs. But we also see that their trips per vehicle, trips per capita are, are huge because they are, uh, they're loved in, in the capital, but maybe there are still too few. So it's very interesting to see that if there are no regulations, or not none, but less than they wanted, or the perfect Goldilocks conditions, that's what really decides how the modes are performing. It's very interesting, the kind of two KPIs you boiled it down to just now, the trips per capita and then the trips per vehicle. And I can imagine how, as a policymaker, you want to see a lot of, you want to see trips per capita, so your population overall is using it. Mm. But that could come at the expense of trips per vehicle, just put massive amounts of vehicles in, more people are going to use it in the end of the day, and then profitability is the question, and maybe the one the, the partners, the operators are going to go out of business and revolve the whole time. Mm. But if you put, if you maximize trips per vehicle, the best way to do that might be to have a very small fleet overall. It'll be yeah. used really a lot. The operators are very profitable, but your impact on overall mode split or benefit to the city population is not there. So they have to basically balance these two kind of problems, maximizing trip per capita while maintaining sort of a minimum trip per vehicle and setting the cap so that this trip per vehicle volume can be maintained and by that profitability. Why is it a problem mm. for cities, though, if operators don't have a good business? I mean, maybe then the next investor comes around and it's a different brand next year. So who cares? I think one of the issues with the newer services, uh, scooters and bikes, is that the, the contracts that are being given to these free-floating bike companies or scooter companies, to some extent, moped companies, it's only for two or three years. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to prove their maximum to, to be successful. It can be difficult for the operator to fully commit to a city that they might not necessarily be there in in two, two years and three years. Whereas I think if they knew that they could stay for four or five years, they could invest in the city more. They could really try and make it uh, the best service possible for the users. I believe that in some cases when there are four, five, six operators going, uh, operating in the same city, it can be a case of, you know, who's putting out the cheapest prices. But then in that case, in that case, you know, you're, you're gaining a market share. But on the back of it, uh, if you're to run a financially sustainable service, you might not be able to do that over four or five years. Imagine if you're only operating in that one city. I mean, you wouldn't be able to do it. It's only thanks to these larger companies that they have different markets that are making maybe more some markets are more profitable than others, that they're able to, to, to run these sort of uh, pricing, pricing incentives that are potentially not sustainable. You're monitoring data from, you said, 180 cities in Europe. What's your yes. estimate? How many of them currently have a cap on, on shared vehicles already introduced? Oh, God. Um, are, we, are we just talking about scooters here, or are we talking about like a, an overall cap? That's a good question, yeah. 
that have at least one vehicle type uh, capped. They're somehow working with caps already, let's say. So it seems to become more and more common, but I'm not sure if those are just the ones who are like grabbing mm. the headlines where in reality 150 of them are still just like a free for all. <laughs> Yeah. Or, or is it really so common that most cities today already have some sort of caps on different vehicle types? I would, yeah, I would say, and this could be completely wrong, by the way, but I, I would say around 60, 65% have already introduced some sort of cap. There are some countries, for instance, that don't have the legislation yet to introduce these caps. But I've got a great example, which is Helsinki. So mm-hmm. Finland as a country has not got legislation on fleet caps, Mm -hmm. but Helsinki has reached a working agreement with the operators that are operating scooters today. Mm -hmm. And essentially there is no new, uh, that relationship just works on trust. Mm -hmm. So the the city of Helsinki knows that that each operator is operating uh, this certain number of uh, scooters. And also there's no new operator that wants to join the market because these uh, operators are already operating here and they have market share reach, so it would be a difficult market to join. But also they've kind of reached their their maximum in terms of their capacity of fleets, fleet sizes. So as a new operator joining, you might upset the city by saying, you know, if if there's a call for tender that's eventually going to happen, mm. we've got four operators that we like and we trust. If you're going to join without sort of our mm. permission, we're not going to choose you. So you know, is it worth deploying in a city like that, um, knowing that it's just going to be a short-lived mm. endeavor? Probably not. So, so you think most of these 180 are already working with caps on fleet sizes? Um, you aware of any of them interfering directly with pricing too, that they would set the price per minute for any vehicles? I have I have no idea, actually. I okay. wonder what, uh, what you think. I know that obviously for station-based bikes, that's a given. Um, I think that's that's also the only example that I'm aware of right now around some station-based yeah. bike schemes where there's also maybe then subsidy involved. So the first maybe 30 minutes are for free and that's paid by the government, but also the rate afterwards is set as part of the total tender. Basically, they would right. say, who wants to run this? And these are the conditions. It's going to be station-based. It's going to be first 30 minutes for free. That's the price. Mm-hmm. But I think that, you know, kind of an analogy where this this kind of monitoring like you were describing earlier and then kind of an intervention is happening the whole time already in most countries in Europe is the taxi business, where for decades they have basically, most uh, cities have monitored how is the local industry doing and they wanted it to have as many cars as possible to be available to the citizens, but then to make Mm -hmm. just enough to survive basically. (laughs) And they would set a central cap on vehicles, but also the price centrally. And just monitor that every year to see how this, what's the state of the local taxi industry and then adjust the price accordingly, but not for them to get rich so that they would have the maximum number of vehicles on the market and can still survive. And I could see a similar thing happening eventually with shared vehicles where cities will say, like they say today as policymakers about around, mm. around taxis, that they are part of public transportation. Maybe also these shared vehicles, they just want them to be they're in the mix as available as possible, but they have to monitor what's the yeah. just profitable enough situation of these operators. But I think right now we're mostly working with caps, not yet directly with price intervention. I'm not sure if that's the goal either, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's happening soon. So I'm just curious because mm. you are talking to so many operators and cities if you've already seen any of it. But it's interesting. Yeah, and just one, or maybe one more point on pricing that that's worth considering is that, you know, the, the price per minute seems to be the going um, mm-hmm. 
the, the you know the going uh, pricing uh, policy or way of you know pricing yeah. model. Um, but there are it, it doesn't necessarily work for the the shorter trips that well, I would say, especially because prices are rising. So I think I think for me, uh, well, now the scooters are not going to be <laughs> in Paris any longer. Uh, but a, a scooter trip in Paris could, could cost me thirty minutes, seven euros, which it, it's it's quite a lot of money to spend on, on on a trip. But there are ways that operators are doing to incentivize pricing and, and to kind of revolutionize the pricing model. Which is the I think the thing to watch in twenty twenty three is how operators are able to to innovate on the pricing side. So two trips in a day for thirty minutes each costs you four euros or three fifty. That's something that DOT does, by the way. I think they're really, really good on, on, on innovative pricing. Uh, and this was the hardest thing to, to take into consideration for the market sizing we did was you might have a, a pass for 40 euros or 20 euros, and 30 euros a month. I don't know exactly, but you get free unlocks. So free unlocks, which is cost saves you the, the one, one euro or however much it is in the country you're based in. And then that also needs to be taken away from the cost of other Operators making more money off this or less money, depending on the user habits. But what they're also doing by having this unlock is hopefully creating loyalty with that customer for that month. And so they're coming back to them repeatedly. So it's like the repeat business side of it. So mm. it's all very interesting to see uh, how it develops in 2023. But with the cost of living crisis and things like this, I think operators will need to be more bullish on pricing and, and need to be thinking of new ways to keep keep users um, attracted to their to their uh, their brands and as well as, as their, you know, their vehicles. Totally believe in that as well. We see revenue management as one of three top focus areas for operators to reach profitability. In addition to then fraud prevention and then operations, including the reliability of their hardware. But yeah, revenue management pricing is um, totally not fully exploited at the moment and makes it hard for you to estimate the total revenue once you have the trips because of all these other um, schemes going on. This was very um, fascinating. I, I do think it's well worth reading your guys reports um, to really be on the right page in terms of total market size and volume and breakdown by citizens. So thanks for sharing some insights into also benchmarks, what, what constitutes good for these different vehicles in terms of trips per day and sharing a little bit how you actually arrive there, how you get a grip on these numbers, why all these companies are private and it's not really accessible to kind of a straightforward research. So this was mm. very uh, insightful. Thanks a lot for taking the time today, Harry. No, thanks for, thanks for having me. Really, really enjoyed it.